Good morning. Welcome to WCF. So good to see each one of you this morning. If you've gathered to worship, welcome to all of you that are joining us online this morning. We're so glad that you're tuning in. We're here to worship God. Isaiah chapter 25 says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done marvelous things, things planned long ago. Our God has done marvelous things, and he rose Jesus from the dead. And this morning, Jesus is alive, and we are going to begin the service by worshiping that he lives this morning, and he's in our midst. Let's stand together and worship our God. Forever done, holy 
by the blood. It is finished. It is finished. He lives. All honor and power are His. All glory forever. Sit down, why don't you turn around and say hi to somebody? things that we do as a church, but one of, one of my favorite things to do is child dedications. We, uh, we have the privilege this morning of being able to stand with um, multiple sets of parents. We have uh, dedications this morning and then also next service. To be able to partner with parents as they bring their children before the Lord and, and ask for prayer. And it's, it's a tough thing to raise kids these days, isn't it? And it's getting harder. Yeah, we need to be able to partner with these parents and understand um, that there is a role that the church has, the church family has, in, in praying for and partnering and encouraging parents um, in these days to be able to do that. We think about dedication. What is child dedication? Well, I can tell you what it's not. Child dedication is not praying salvation over a child. It is, it is not saying to a child that, that now, because we prayed for you, you're saved. That is a personal decision that, that adults make. Um, and, and when does a child become an adult? Well, when they understand what sin is, that sin separates us from God. And that child then can, at some point in time, realize that they need to confess that sin in order to receive forgiveness. Well, little babies can't do that. All a child knows, all little babies know especially, is put everything in my mouth, and you work for me. <laughs> but children are a blessing. So why does the church dedicate children? Why do we do this? Dedication is a recognition of a gift that God gives to us that we give back to Him. It's part of, it's part of worship. In the Bible here, we see a gal by the name of Hannah who wanted to have children. And in Near Eastern culture, having a child was something that, that would promote honor for women, but Hannah was childless, and it grieved her heart. And it was until such a time that the Lord determined that Hannah should have a child, 
for a specific purpose. And so she was ecstatic about being able to have a child. But this wasn't any ordinary child. The child would be Samuel. It would be a priest. But I want to read to you the response out of 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 24 to 28, where we get this model. It says, Now when she had weaned him, she took him up with her and the three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the child was young. And then they slaughtered the bull and brought the, bo- brought the boy to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And so what we see is these, these gifts that God gives to us in children, the next generation, which is a gift, it's our responsibility to raise them up, to be able to do that. In the New Testament, when the children were brought to Jesus, the disciples tried to stop them, said, well, you know, the children aren't that important. Jesus said, oh, no, they are. In Mark 10, 13, Jesus says, allow the children to come to me and forbid them not. Why? Because for such is the kingdom of heaven. And so what we want to do as a church body is we want to celebrate uh, these lives of these children. We want to dedicate them. So I'm going to invite uh, Mike and Emily Douglas to come up and also Justin and Elizabeth Fleming to come on up and bring the kids. And we are going to pray for them together as corporately. I'm going to lead in prayer as we present them to you. We'll see if the kids do well. We'll start with Logan first. So this is Logan. You guys can come over here. This is Mike, Emily. This is Garrett. All right. Can you guys all see Logan? Do I have to pick him up? Logan, come here. Up you go. All right. Logan, say hi to everybody. So we're going to pray for Logan now. So let's pray as a, and you guys to join with me as we pray. God, we thank you for Logan. We thank you for his heart, his desire, and so much energy. Lord, I pray that you would channel that energy in a very special way, that as he grows, he would have a heart for you. Father, we pray blessing over him. We ask, God, that you would give to him a path and a direction that is fit for him. He'd fulfill all the, the things that you have for him. God, I would ask for Mike and Emily as they raise Logan, that they would be able to have the endurance to keep up with him, the words to share with him, that he would become the godly man that you would have him to be. That everything that, that from this time forward that is part of Logan's life would be an honor unto you. And that we would celebrate him, whether he becomes a firefighter or anything else that you would have him be. May he honor you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good job, Logan. All right. Yeah. Try this? Sure. <laughs> this is Garrett. Did something come out I didn't know about? Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for Garrett. We ask God that you would raise him up. Lord, we know that. You have a plan for his future. I thank you for the blessing that he is. I thank you that we've been privileged to be able to partner with this family. That, God, 
for Emily and for Mike, Lord, just being able to watch them as a couple come together and, and raising their kids. And Lord, I thank you for, for such a blessing as this. Lord, we pray blessings over Garrett for his future. Lord, you know who he's going to be and what he's going to do, where he's going to live, who he's going to marry, what ministries he's going to serve in, and wherever he goes. Lord, I pray you would empower him by your spirit, that he would be an honor unto you all the days of his life. Lord, we ask that as he grows older, may he see you clearly and follow you. We pray blessings over him as a congregation and anything that we can do to help support, may we do that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Very good. I believe these are yours. Yep. There's Garrett's, and there's Lo- that should be Logan's, right? Yep. All right. Very good. This is Addison. We've we got to get her picture, picture perfect here. You gotta be able to see your face. All right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Addison. Lord, we know that she is a gift. A very special, special young girl. Lord, we know that, that you have ordained her days with this family. Lord, we would ask for Justin and Elizabeth that you would give to them wisdom and discernment and how to raise her. Father, we, we pray that you would raise up Addison to be that Proverbs 31 woman, that she would have an industrious heart, a loving heart, a caring heart, that you would raise her up. Lord, we pray for her future husband. We ask God that as, as you raise up Addison, that you would prepare for her, her future family. But till then, Lord, we know that you've set a path for her and a, and a path that will honor you. So, Lord, we pray, pray blessings over this family. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen them and keep them. May your grace shine upon them. May your, your face always be towards them. And may your peace be upon this family. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. What a sweetheart. You ready? <laughs> All right. And here's your certificate there. All right. Good job. Thank you. Yep. Wonderful. As we continue to worship, ushers, I invite you forward as we give our tithes. I encourage you to give with a grateful heart this morning. And then we're going to also continue to worship through song as we continue to worship our King of Glory. Father, we um, present these tithes and offerings to you this morning. We bring them joyfully. We bring them as an act of worship. We ask that you'd bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.
there is a King of glory, there is a God who saves, one who is strong and mighty, freedom is in His name. Open the gates of heaven, lift up a shout of praise, there is a lion roaring, Jesus the King of glory. Lift your eyes, stand in awe, stand in awe. There is one, only one, where my help comes from. There is a King of glory, there is a God who saves. One who is strong and mighty, freedom is in His name. Open the gates of heaven, lift up a shout of praise. There is a lion roaring, Jesus the King of glory. A shout of praise, there is a lion roaring, Jesus the King of glory. There is a lion roaring, Jesus the King of glory. Amen. Yes, he's worthy of our praise. things, my God, you are my God. 
majesty, your wonder fills everything, my God, you are my God, holy is the Lord, holy is the Lord Almighty, seated on the throne, seated on the throne of glory, high lifted up. Presence fills the temple as we worship you. Oh, we worship you. Creation points to the King, the heavens can't help but sing to you, to you, my God. Lord, holy is the Lord Almighty, seated on the throne, seated on the throne of glory, high lifted up, your presence fills the temple and we worship you, oh, we worship you, holy is the Lord, holy is the Lord. Holy is the Lord Almighty, seated on the throne, seated on the throne of glory, high lifted up. Your presence fills the temple as we worship you. Oh, we worship you. Hallelujah to the one who came and made a way. Hallelujah to the one who died and rose again. Hallelujah to the only name above all names. Glory and honor and power forever. Hallelujah to the one who came and made a way. Hallelujah to the one who died and rose again. Hallelujah to the name, name above all names. Glory and honor and glory forever. Glory and honor and power forever. Holy is the Lord, holy is the Lord Almighty, seated on the throne, seated on the throne of glory, high lifted up. Your presence fills the temple as we worship you. Oh, we worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the one who came and made a way. Hallelujah to the one who died and rose again. Hallelujah to the only name above all names. Glory and honor and power forever. Glory 
and honor and power forever glory and honor and power forever Wells would rocks cry out to worship Whose glory taught the stars to shine Perhaps creation longs to have the words to sing But this joy is mine With a thousand hallelujahs With a thousand hallelujahs We magnify your name You alone deserve the glory, the honor and the praise. Lord Jesus, this song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. Who else would die for our redemption? Whose resurrection means our eyes There isn't time enough to sing of all you've done I have eternity to try With a thousand hallelujahs We magnify your name You alone deserve the glory, the honor and the praise. Lord Jesus, this song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand
our voices with a thousand hallelujahs. With a thousand hallelujahs, we magnify your name. You alone deserve the glory, the honor, and the praise. Lord Jesus, this song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. Lord, we stand here in your presence this morning just asking know that you, knowing that you are here in our midst. For as we, your people, worship you, you always inhabit our praises. You come and you dwell in the midst of them. And we are so grateful. And we can sing a thousand hallelujahs and ten thousand more. Singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And still doesn't always seem like enough. But we have worshipped you from the depths of our being this morning. and We thank you for hearing. We thank you for being pleased. We thank you for your love. We love you this morning. Teach us now this morning from your word, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew 26. As we uh, continue our study through the gospel, according to Matthew, we come to a, a text that many of you are familiar with. Um, if you've been in church for any length of time, it's, it's the section of Matthew's account of Jesus entering into the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a sacred text in a, in a sense that we are given a window into the humanity of Jesus, into a time of sorrow and suffering and, and grief. There is a kind of sorrow that's inevitable, a kind of grief that cannot be avoided. And the question is, how do you endure such a thing? I came across a poem that I want to share with you. It says this, He knows the bitter weary way. He knows the endless striving day by day. He knows how hard the fight has been. The clouds that come are lives between. The wounds the world has never seen. He knows. He knows, O oh thought so full of bliss, for though our joys on earth we miss, we still can bear it feeling this. He knows. If you ever get to a place where you think, well, God, you really don't know what I'm feeling. That's not quite accurate. He knows. The prophet Isaiah would describe Jesus as a man of sorrows. In Isaiah 53, 3, it says this. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, 
and we did not esteem Him. In those deep, dark places where you find yourself enduring a sorrow, enduring a grief, and enduring a loss, and you will, from time to time, there is a kind of that grief and that sorrow that happens. We will encounter these times, and we got to know that there is somebody who will watch with you. When you feel all alone and you feel desperate, we have a Savior that knows what you're feeling and in every way has experienced everything that we've gone through and has provided a path, a way to get through that. In our text this morning, we're going to see the path through grief and sorrow. When it's inevitable, how do you know, negotiate that? How do you navigate that? How do you get to this place of sorrow and get through it? Jesus says in John 16:33, "These things I have spoken to you, so that here's the purpose, that you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. Why? I have what? Jesus is the path through every tribulation and every sorrow and every grief. Our account is picking up this morning. After the Passover meal, Jesus has finished the Passover meal with the disciples. You would need to turn over to John chapter 14 to pick up the next thing that would happen, which would be his uh, discourse, his, his up, what's called the upper room discourse. They would sing a hymn, which was tradition. They would go out singing this hymn, and they would begin the journey out of Jerusalem down through the Kidron Valley, which is just across from the East Gate, and up to the west side of the Mount of Olives. During that time, you would read through John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, where Jesus would be giving his last instructions as they're walking along the road. Probably 20, 25 minutes of a journey of a walk. Not super long to be able to come out maybe 30 minutes tops. And along that place, Jesus would separate himself and then he would pray his prayer that is found in John chapter 17. Where was Jesus going? The Mount of Olives. Why? Because that was the place, the garden, where he would experience sorrow. That's where sorrow for him would begin. And the first place of sorrow would be betrayal. Did Jesus know that the betrayal was going to take place there? Yes. Did he know that he was in, engaging in sorrow? Yes. Was it inevitable? Yes. And the question is, how did Jesus navigate this journey? How did Jesus go to that place where he knew he would experience insurmountable sorrow? He didn't try to avoid it. He went straight to it. And he would go through it. But how did he go through it? We're going to take a unique look at his prayer in this. I'm going to ask that you would stand as our practice. As we read through our text, if you're able to stand with us, that would be great. Out of respect for God's Word. I'm going to read through here, uh, 26 verses 36 on down to the end. It says this, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and 
two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again, went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Well, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up and accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said to him, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, Do what you've come for. And then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out a sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put in my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? How then will the Scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? And at that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me, as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching you, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the Scriptures of the prophets. And then all the disciples left him and fled. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So how do you manage grief? How do you manage sorrow? What do you do when when the inevitable comes? And this is inevitable. This is what Jesus was called to do as his mission. In verse 36, we see, it says, Then Jesus came to the place called Gethsemane. Why? Because he was going to pray. Well, what is Gethsemane? The word Gethsemane means olive press. On the west slope of the Mount of Olives was a huge olive grove, fig grove. It was a big production area. It was a, and, and olive oil is an essential in the Near East. They use it for, they use it for uh, fuel for their lamps. They were using it for food and all of the... But how do you get olive oil out of olive, you know, themselves? You've you got to smash them. So there's a couple of pictures I want to show you that, that will help define it a little bit. What you see in front of you is one of three different kinds of Near Eastern uh, olive presses. If you can see, the, it would be on a lever system. 
The olives would be put in the bags, and they'd be stacked on one another with like a cheesecloth kind of material around them that would keep the pulp for the most part in. It would have a catch basin. The lever would sit on top with a big rock, and then on the end would be sandbags to be able to smash them down. There would be three different grades of oil, olive oil. There would be the, the fuel oil, grade number one. Grade number two would be a virgin oil, and that would be used for some cooking. And then there would be extra virgin oil. Which do you think was the most pricely, the, the most valuable? It would be the extra virgin, right? That was the purest form. But in order to get that oil, it, ha- it required great pressure. In the next picture, I'll show you, it shows what one, a replica would be set up as, as you can see that the concrete or the the stone basin would catch all the oil and they would get that in there. Isn't it ironic the fact that Jesus would go under the greatest pressure of sorrow and grief dealing with all of this to the place of the olive press? The amount of pressure that comes with grief and sorrow is immense. Many of you have experienced it. Times in your life where you've had tremendous pressure put upon you. Where you want to escape. And, and have you ever had that situation where it's like, I don't want to do that. It's going to hurt. But it's inevitable. Maybe it's the death of a, of a loved one or a sorrow or an event that you have to encounter. We're told in Luke's account that this was a common place for Jesus to go to. Jesus would, whenever he would come down into the Jerusalem area, if he stayed at Mary and Martha's house in Bethany, which is just over the hill, or he would stay and and come to this place in prayer, it's a great place of solitude. When we go to Israel, we go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we can see it. And it's a very calming place. It's like camping in the woods. And it's this place where he would go to be with his father. I think it's interesting that Jesus didn't avoid the garden, but he went to the garden. Why? He knew he was going to be arrested. Now, if you know something bad's going to happen, what is your natural instinct? Avoid it. Go the other way, right? This is bad. Not going there. I'm going the other way. I'm going to run. But Jesus doesn't do that. He goes straight into it. And so we're told that while he was there, he was determined to do what? Verse 36 says he was determined to pray. This is our clue. This is our path. When suffering is unavoidable, when great stress is coming and you know you cannot get away from it, the path through it is through prayer. And so Jesus goes to this place of prayer. He knows that the time has come. He took his disciples, eight of them. He said, you guys stay over there. You three come with me, Peter, James, and John. Why? Because they were his core disciples. And he says, come, and what does he ask them to do? Watch with me. Now here's the glimpse into into Jesus' humanity. Is Jesus fully God? Answer yes, please. (laughs) Otherwise, we're going to change the lesson right now. And he's fully man. Now, so many times we get this construct in our mind that Jesus being fully God doesn't know pain, doesn't know sorrow, doesn't know suffering. He is fully man. And in his humanity, he's wrestling with something that is inevitable. It is, it is wrath, it is judgment, it is grief, it, and it is part of his personal journey. And what does he do? 
he asked for his three closest people to come and support him with prayer. Now, not only is prayer important, but gather those people around you that will support you. He's looking for that. He's needing that. He's asking for that. He says, please watch with me. I do a lot of counseling with people. And one of the things that, that grief tends to do and sorrow is it tends to isolate people. That is the worst thing that could ever happen, is to become isolated in your grief, sorrow, and suffering. Why? Because you don't have the support. To know that people are there standing with you, holding you up, is important. To praying for you and intercede, and it's important. And if it's important for Jesus, it's important for us. And so he says, please, come watch with me. The difficulty is, this is Jesus' trial, not the disciples. They're not seeing it the same way that he sees it. And you've got to understand, that is true. When you ask people to support you, they're not feeling the feelings you're feeling. They're not seeing the things that you're seeing. They may not fully get it. But that's okay. Allow them to come, encourage them to come and to support you. Notice what Jesus says in verse 38. He says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and what? Keep watch with me. This, again, gives us insight. The word in Greek is perilopos. And it literally means, peri means to be surrounded by. Lupos is grief. And so those two words, surrounded by grief, is this overwhelming type of, of, of grief. Imagine yourself sinking in an ocean of grief. As you're underneath the water, completely surrounded. That's, that's how this word plays out, is, is described. It's the emotional side, and, and lupos, um, it can denote a, a physical or emotional pain. It's a side of sorrow that is, is palpable. It's a kind of pain and suffering and sorrow that physically hurts. And again, when you can't get away from it, what should you do? Pray through it. Reaching out for support. In that vertical relationship between you and God, in the horizontal relationship between you and other people, prayer is the pattern and the path to be able to get through grief and sorrow. And enduring something that is inevitable, that is weighing you down, that is putting great pressure on you. Notice he says it's a sorrow unto death. Why? When you look at the words, a sorrow unto death, it is going to be a sorrow that will continue until he dies. It's also the kind of sorrow that is a sorrow that makes you want to die. Have you ever known somebody like that? They have been in that place where they are so grieved and they're in such a state of sorrow that they wish that they were dead to try to escape that kind of sorrow, that kind of grief. I just don't want to be, I don't want to go through it. Where the wheels just come off and you are done. That's the place that Jesus was at. And you're saying, well, he's God. Yes, but fully man. How does he know my kind of grief? Because he experienced it. To be able to understand that. In fact, Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 5, 7, he says this. As the author of Hebrews describes this event, he says, In the days of his flesh... He offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. 
Isaiah 53, 5 says it was a crushing kind of sorrow. But he was pierced through our, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastising of our well-being fell upon him, and he was scourged, by his scourge we were healed. Within this, the crushing, hence the picture of the olive press. Being crushed under the weight of our sin, the sorrow, and the suffering within this, and, and being in that place. An interesting side study on Hebrews, and I, I, I worked on it, and we don't have time to go through that, but an interesting side study on the Hebrews 5-7 passage is this. Jesus, Son of God, prayed a prayer, and God didn't answer the prayer according to the way that he prayed it. Interesting. We'll unpack it in a minute, but it's an interesting study in itself. We understand and we see in this pattern of prayer that Jesus goes and he prays. Verses 39 to 40. And it is a prayer that, that is necessary to be able to endure this time. He says in 39, he says, He went a little bit beyond and he prays this prayer. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Notice the address. My Father. Abba, Father. This is, this is not... You know, some type of deity that is disconnected in heaven. This is dad. Dad, if it's possible. What's interesting too is in the Greek, this is what's called a first class conditional clause. Which means, if it is possible and it is. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. It is possible. And Jesus praised that prayer. Dad. If it is possible, and I know it is possible because nothing's impossible with you. Is there another way? Let this cup pass from me. What was the cup? Well, the cup is always designated of that which God serves up. It could be a cup of blessing. It could be a cup of a curse. Or it could be, in this case, the cup of wrath and judgment. What was Jesus going to drink from? The cup that the Father had prepared for the Son to drink of, of wrath and judgment, which is our sins, our iniquities. He would receive the full weight of the wrath of God for all the sins of the world upon Him. And He says, if it's possible, is it possible? And He prays. For this inevitable grief. And he says, is it impossible? And prayer is important. Philippians 4, 6-7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Note. After the prayer. And the what? Peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus is patterning this. By his prayer, he brings his anxiety to the, to the Father and says, here is, here, I'm anxious over this. And the key is, after he's done this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will garrison, that word guard is garrison your heart and your mind within this. Which again, we'll unpack in a minute of what that really means. This possible... We struggle with the possibility when we pray. 
when we pray and we say, God, I really want this person to be healed. God, would you please spare this person's life? God, would you please change this person? God, would you bring salvation to this person? Whatever it is that you pray with great angst and anxiety that you lay before the Lord and you say, God, if it is possible and everything is possible, why? Nothing is impossible with God. But what happens if God doesn't answer according to your prayer? Everything is possible, but not everything we pray is part of God's perfect will. Do you hear me? Everything is possible, but not everything is part of God's perfect will. And what's interesting about this is that Jesus would not let his personal preference come in conflict with God's perfect will. In his humanity, my personal preference is, I don't want to drink from this cup. Yet, what does he say? Not my will, but your will be done. And he prays that way. In the first garden, Adam said, not your will, God, but mine. In the second garden, Jesus said, not my will, but yours. Isn't that amazing? That's why he is the perfect sacrifice. It was God's divine plan for the redemption of mankind, and it was required that sin would be judged, and that it was necessary for that sin to be put upon Jesus as the perfect sacrifice so you and I would be saved. It was necessary, which tells us that the suffering that Jesus would be going through was necessary. There is a kind of suffering that is necessary, unavoidable within that. There's kind of suffering that moves us further down in the mission of God as God uses this. What was Jesus being weighed out? What was being weighed out on Jesus? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He, being God, made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God, notice, in Him. It was necessary. But it was the hardest thing that any human being would ever do, including Jesus, who was fully human and divine. He prays this prayer, and then He comes back. And what does He find the disciples doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. Couldn't you guys stay awake for one hour? Now, I teach on a regular basis, and there are many times that I catch you guys sleeping. <laughs> you guys can't even do 45 minutes, my goodness. He has these three, stay with me. He comes back and they're asleep. Well, Passover meal was good. It was late. I was comfortable. I tried. But what we see here is this is Jesus' trial. Jesus realized, and we realized, he was unsupported in this. When it comes down to, to navigating grief and sorrow and tribulation and difficulties, when all else is said and done, it's on you. It is on you. 
and it's between you and, and, and the Father. Bless their hearts. They would try. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You ever tried reading your Bible at night? You ever tried praying? Not enough. You may have the best intentions, but I can tell you this. Unless the Spirit is controlling your flesh, the flesh will always win. Unless the Spirit is controlling your flesh, the flesh will always win. He goes back a second time and he says this, If this cannot pass, I will drink it. What's interesting about the second prayer is this. You see the change. It's called a second class condition or it's a negative. The if is a negative. He says, if this cup cannot pass and it can't, then I'll drink it. What happened between the first prayer and the second prayer? Acceptance. Acceptance. Does it stop him from praying? No. What he's doing is in his prayer, he is submitting to the will of the Father. He is confessing that will to the Father. Yes, I am accepting this. And he accepts the inevitable sorrow and the grief that leads to death. And again, he comes back finding the disciples sleeping again. And then he goes and he prays again within that. And he's just dealing and wrestling with this because many times we will wrestle through the process not to change the will of God, but to change the will of our hearts. When we pray those prayers, we're praying these confession prayers back to God saying, this is my heart changing according to your will. Which is important. And it's through prayer that we, we find that place of acceptance. Notice what he says in verse 45. He came to the disciples and said, are you sleeping again? Get up. Because now it's time for the Son of Man to be betrayed. Wake up. It's interesting. In each account, in Matthew's account, he's addressing who? Peter. Why Peter? There's three guys there. Why didn't you say James, John? Why Peter? Because it was Peter who boldly said, I will never leave you. It was Peter that says, while everybody else scatters, I'm here for you, Jesus. And this is part of the sorrow. I thought I could trust in you. I can't. In wrestling with those relationships. How did Jesus navigate all this? Through prayer. Only through prayer. Can we have a path to get through the hard times, to get through the grief, the trouble, and, this, and, and the tribulation? Only through prayer. And that prayer that connects us to the heart of God. Can we get to a place where we can finally accept what the will of God is, even when it hurts? When it's difficult. It is only through prayer that we can deal with abandonment. And accepting that inevitable. While Jesus was still speaking, Judas shows up. And the ball is rolling. And now Jesus is in this place of acceptance and he's accepting the will of God. And the key is this. Now because he's prayed and in the state of acceptance of the will of God, now he has boldness to be able to address this. Now he has boldness to be able to, to react appropriately in this face of suffering. Judas, the betrayer, was coming up. Was it any surprise to Jesus that Judas was betraying him? Absolutely not. We know in earlier accounts, verse 46 of, of the same chapter, also in John 13, 27, that Jesus had told Judas, here's your intentions. Here's what you're planning on doing. I know it. You know it. Go do it. 
But it didn't change the fact that he would have to come face to face with that person that he spent three years with, who is now turning his back. And Judas comes walking up to him with this band of people and says, Hail, Rabbi, and gives him a kiss. Why a kiss? Because that was the sign that Judas had given all the soldiers from the temple guard, this is the one that you want to arrest. Pay attention, though. He doesn't say, Hail, Lord, does he? What does he say? Hail, Rabbi. Why? Because Judas had already emotionally disconnected from Jesus. And he just calls him teacher. Emotionally disconnecting from the one who has called him out. And Jesus responds to him, not the way that I would. Friend. He might have come up and said, what do you want, jerk? That would have been my response. But he says, friend. But you betray me with a kiss. With a kiss? Really? How disappointing. How sorrowful. How grievous to have such a thing. Many of you have experienced betrayal from people that you've loved, that you've trusted, that you've lived with, people that have turned their back on you. That is also a kind of sorrow and a kind of grief that can weigh you down. How do I navigate that? Again, in prayer. And accepting the inevitable. Judas was part and parcel of the plan. He was the son of perdition. He was created for such a thing within this. And Jesus accepts it and faces it. And within this, 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 this whole mob that had come forward with the temple guard and Judas betrays him and, and Jesus addresses him as friend, then the soldiers had come up and they grabbed him. They grabbed Jesus. Why? Because that was the plan. Well, as they're grabbing Jesus, you've got to picture this. You've you got a fisherman, right? And, and, and Fisher pulls out his, his little makara. It's a little small sword. It's not a big, broad sword. It's a little small sword. Well, where did Peter get the sword? Well, Jesus told him <laughs> at the last meeting. He says, when you go out, go get swords. It'd be kind of like having a you know, concealed weapon, you know, your hand, little handgun or something. Jesus told him, he says, go out because you're going to go out into the world and you're going to need a little self-protection. Well, Peter took that all wrong. Bless his heart, Peter. My goodness. So he took that all wrong and he said, now's the time. Well, you already fell asleep three times. You couldn't stay awake. Now's the time. So he wants to save the day. Pulls out the sword. He's not a warrior. He's a fisherman. He's got temple guard that have a lot of swords and you're one guy. And he swings and he misses. He was looking for Malchus' head and he got the ear. My thought is, Peter, what would you have done as if his head fell off? <laughs> you know, really? Peter doesn't think an awful lot. But bless his heart, he tried. And Jesus has got, he's bound up with these soldiers. And it's interesting because Jesus says, stop. Why did Jesus say stop? Stop for Peter, but also stop for who? The soldiers. Because what would have happened? 
Had it continued, they all would have been killed. Just stop. I love the fact that every step along the way, Jesus was in full control and full command. Stop. And we're told that he picks up the ear and brings healing to Malchus. Can you imagine? Malchus, you might need this here. And the irony is this. These soldiers, they're watching him and they're going, he just put that guy's ear back on. You hold him. You think about this. How could Jesus get to this place from a place of grave sorrow to full control? Acceptance. Acceptance. And how did he get there? Prayer. He prays. In John twenty-two fifty-one, we're given the account. It says, Jesus answered and says, stop, no more of this. And he touched the ear and healed him, protecting his disciples. But the other thing that was interesting about this is Jesus says, guys, Peter, don't you know what kind of power I have? I can call down 12 legions. Well, it's best estimated that 12 legions is about 72,000 angels. What would happen if 72,000 angels showed up? But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. Why? Why? Because he has to travel down this path of sorrow. He has to go to the cross. He has to do what, what is necessary to be done. And I got to thinking about this. No, you're not going to call 72,000 angels now. Why? You're going to go to the cross. You're going to die on the cross for the sins of the world so that anyone who will accept that sacrifice on their behalf and accept you as Lord and Savior will be saved. That was necessary for our redemption. But in Revelation 19, after the redeemed are taken into heaven, Jesus will come back with the sword of his mouth. Oh, and the blood is going to be let. And he is going to take you out all the kings of the land. We see that Jesus was power under control. The other thing that I think is interesting about this is Jesus chose to suffer injustice in order to fulfill the Father's plan. You may feel like you've been unjustly treated. You may feel that life is not fair. God, it is not fair what I'm going through. It is not fair that I have to suffer this. It is not right. It's not fair that my loved one has cancer or, or this happened or that happened. God, it is not fair. Was it fair for Jesus? No. But he chose to suffer the injustice for your salvation. And how did he make it through it? His relationship with the Father. It emboldened him to suffer this shame, the suffering. And in the end, in verse 55, it says, At this time, Jesus turned to the crowds, and notice how he rebukes the crowds. He says, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? He looks at these people and mocks the crowds and he says, really, you're all that tough? You got to come out at night? I was with you during the day. Which reveals and puts a mirror up against their wicked intentions. 
But does he not go with them? Oh, no, he goes with them. Why? Because it was necessary. It was necessary for him to be mocked. It was necessary for him to be whipped. It was necessary to have his beard ripped off of his face, blindfolded and punched and beaten. It was necessary for him to be stripped naked and marched through the streets, humiliated, spit upon, and hung on a cross and to die. Why? Because that was the full wrath and the consequences of sin. And he endured the cross despising this shame and now is seated upon the throne in heaven. It was necessary for him to get through the cross, to get to the tomb, to rise again, to be the firstborn of the resurrection. And all of those that have put their faith and trust in him are also born again. It was necessary within this. What made it possibly worse or more difficult? All the disciples left him and they fled. But that was necessary too, because according to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, the prophecy said, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. This was Jesus' journey. It was his path. And it was necessary. But God wastes nothing. In his death, he gives life. I don't know what path God has you on. I don't know what suffering you go through. I know suffering will come. It's not a matter of if, but when. But from this passage, we have great hope. Because Jesus has given us a model and a pattern by which we can go through those hard times. And How do we do it? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've given to us a pattern. A pattern which will embolden us to endure the hard times. To be able to endure the overwhelming suffering or grief. To be able to handle the abandonment or, or, or the inevitable difficulties that this world is going through. God, through prayer, we can be emboldened to accept that which you have given to us to endure. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you didn't quit. Lord, we know that quitters never win. We know that, that we've already won in you and been given that new life. May we live with that boldness. May we celebrate our lives in such a way that brings honor to you. God, I know that you want to do a great work in our hearts. May we pray and continue to pray in all of these things. And in all of these things become more than conquerors. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. my knees again surrendering all surrendering all find me here Lord as you draw me near 
desperate for you. A desperate for you. I surrender. understanding. May we come to you in prayer, a heart that is fully surrendered. Lord, we know that you know our feelings, our emotions, our hurts and our pains. You also have the solution. May we seek your face, that hope of glory. That event. Well, let me pray us out. God, I thank you that you have given to us uh, access to your throne room of grace, that we can come to you any time. 
And we can bring our cares, our concerns, our anxieties to you because you care for us. And it's not that you are a God most high that can't relate, but you are a God most nigh. You know our pains and our sufferings and our sorrows. You are waiting for us to come to you so that you might support us in whatever we're going through. We thank you that we have that access. I pray for those this morning that maybe don't know you, that are in that place where they have been trying to do it on their own and they are drowning. May they cry out to you, God, because you will save them. We praise you and we thank you for this privilege of gathering together. Lead us out now and may everything we say and do make you smile. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Have a blessed Thanks day. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.